3: taking it
1: to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bz.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at Show. My name's Kay Winningall and I'm joined today by my co-hosts Laura Perry and Michael Steindl. Hi Kay. Hi Kay. Today we're going to be talking to Tim Forsey and Dylan McDonnell from the Australian-German Climate and Energy College at Melbourne University about their new report called A Short-Lived Gas Shortfall, which is a review of AEMO's, the Australian energy market operator, warning of gas supply shortfalls that came out earlier this year. Regular listeners may remember Tim and Dylan because they've been on this show before and they're both chemical engineers. Tim is an <coughs> independent energy advisor and Dylan is an energy analyst. Hello, Tim and Dylan. Welcome to our show. G'day. Yeah, g'day. Good to have you here. Now, your report is an analysis of the report that AEMO released in March this year, and it cautioned that within 18 months there could be a shortfall of electricity due to the scarcity of gas, potentially leading to the lights going out again, and that more gas fields and pipelines had to be built. And that scared a lot of people, including my sister, who thought that the only way to guard against this was to quickly get solar panels and storage at great expense, can you tell us about EMO's report and how you evaluated it?
2: Well, if it's driven people to get more solar panels, maybe that's not such a bad thing. But uh, back on the 9th of March, the Australian Energy Market Operator produced a report and they talked about shortfalls and they made some media announcements. And so it got a a lot of attention right up to the prime minister. And and before we knew it, we had people talking about uh, opening up new gas fields in New South Wales. We heard uh, people talking about running pipelines from the Northern Territory, even pipelines from Western Australia. And even people talking about bringing gas in from Texas to Sydney. So it all got a bit (laughs) ridiculous there after a while. But uh, I'm not sure that anyone other than ourselves uh, actually looked at the numbers because we, we went in there and the shortfall they were talking about was 0.2% of annual supply a couple of years from now. And that's really uh, noise within the modeling that they do. And so uh, we've published a report called "Short-lived Shortfall" because blink and you'll miss it. And um, what we've found is that uh, we don't think that shortfall is going to happen because it was so small. And we see things happening through the uh, through the energy system, which means that that shortfall is not going to happen. The demand for gas is going down because gas is very expensive now. And then also the gas com- the gas companies did come out of the woods with some other uh, gas projects that they said. Well, hold on. Uh, Shell up in Queensland, for example, is sitting on a lot of gas, and they, they announced a couple of projects. So uh, very quickly that, uh, that shortfall's evaporated.
3: Tim, in um, diplomatic terms, your report read fairly strongly. You recommended that EMO improve their scenario modelling, uh, their result interpretation, their formulation of their recommendations, and their communications to stakeholders. In many ways it was a fairly damning report of errors and omissions, Tell
2: us more about that. Well, I, I don't know if it's so much airs and emissions. It's just that there hasn't been a lot of scrutiny on gas over the years. AIMA was mostly is interested in the past in looking at electricity, and gas was a bit more of an afterthought. And that was fine because, you know, there was there was plenty of gas, and gas was cheap, and nobody really cared too much about it. But the prices of gas have gone up uh, dramatically, industry screaming that they can't get hold of gas at any reasonable prices, and there's been a lot of controversy, of course, with the unconventional gas extraction across uh, Queensland and New South Wales, and even people talking about it in Victoria. So certainly gas has received a higher profile. Meanwhile, AMO's not really ramped up the you know their expertise and uh, their way of doing things on the gas side, and they, de- they need to do a better job now. But uh, particularly, they're a bit ham- hamstrung, sort of. Because they base their modeling just on information that they get from the gas industry, which then the gas industry can change at a whim as soon as the prime minister gets involved. Mm-hmm. So I think that AIMO really needs to use – they even have legislative powers that they can get more uh, information from that opaque gas industry. And uh, they need to have a bit more expertise in-house to really understand what's going on in the gas, gas situation.
3: Okay. And what did you actually find – with the situation with the gas supply shortfall?
2: Well, as I said, the uh, the shortfall they were talking about was tiny, and uh, so we see that uh, with uh, falling gas demand that, that that can close the gap. We see that uh, with these uh, other announcements of gas projects that have just been coming out, that that, that would close the gap. But there's also uh, opportunities uh, looking at uh, the electricity side, because Amos said the gas shortfall could mean that uh, they wouldn't have gas to generate electricity, and that's what got people concerned about blackouts, et cetera. But there's a lot happening on the electricity side, which Dylan will talk about in terms of how renewable energy is much cheaper than using gas these days. And we even heard just about 10 minutes ago on another radio station, the news. CEO of uh, AEMO, uh, Audrey Zippelman, who's come in from America, they've just announced uh, demand response. Mm -hmm. So on the electricity side, they're saying that we don't need to build new uh, gas plants to handle peak electricity demand, because uh, you can do things like demand response on the electricity side, which again, probably Dylan will talk about.
3: Yeah, and and I was going to come to that later. That's a report, uh, something you speak strongly to in your report.
2: Yeah, and one thing that really clinched it was just 11 days after AMO published their information, they published another uh, update to their electricity forecasts, and they reduced the electricity forecast by 1%, and this was because of high prices in gas and electricity as having impacts on industry. So just 11 days after they were talking about a gas shortfall, they produced a new electricity forecast, which reduced electricity demand uh, forecast so much that, again, they, they closed their own gap just 11 days after announcing it. So uh, on many fronts, this, uh, it was really a fairly uh, – a lot of fuss about nothing.
1: So uh, I never heard anything about that. That, no, you, you heard about the original report.
2: Yeah, and 11 days later, and then I didn't even... You know, we were, had started to do our research, and I'm looking at the AEMO website again, and I'm like, what's this? It's an update to the national electricity forecast. Very quietly, right there, and you open it up, and I'm like, wow, okay, so the gap's gone already.
1: Yeah. Well, the Prime Minister didn't come out and say, oh, well, let's cancel all these extra gas pipelines and <coughs> gas fields. So, obviously, he didn't know about it either, perhaps.
2: Yeah, it's very quiet. I don't think anybody's mentioned it except ourselves so far.
1: (laughs) And what about the shortage of cheap gas?
2: Yeah, cheap gas is gone. I mean, Australia used to have about the cheapest gas in the developed world. If you go back, it was a byproduct of producing oil, like out of the Bass Strait. So here's this uh, basically a waste product, this gas, what can you do with it? And so in Victoria and other places uh, for decades, um, people were uh, using gas in industry and using gas in homes because it was cheap. But uh, then the coal seam gas came along and the uh, construction of the gas export facilities up in Queensland, where now – They're going to be exporting perhaps as much as three times as much gas out of Queensland as what is used in eastern Australia. So this uh, helps to drive up the price because gas prices are now linked to international markets. But also what they're finding is this coal seam gas is not cheap to produce. So there's not going to be cheap gas again in eastern Australia. This uh, high-priced gas is here to stay. And part of what we like to talk about is how the uh, homeowners and industry can respond to that by doing some fuel switching over to things like heat pumps.
3: So coming to what you mentioned before, Dylan's area, the demand side, you actually mentioned that the report didn't address a lot of these things. It it didn't look at electricity supply side solutions or electricity demand side solutions, gas demand side solutions, non-fossil gas and maintaining or expanding production from existing fields. Fill us in on that, would you, Dylan?
0: Uh, yeah sure so I guess it's important to to start off by understanding what role gas plays in the electricity sector currently and basically there's two major forms well, three major forms of of gas generation in the national electricity at the market the sort of very old steam gas generators there's one in Victoria um, that's Newport and there's um, Torrens Island in in South Australia and they basically just um, like a like a coal fired power station they basically just burn uh, gas and run a steam Generator um, they're, they're quite old and inefficient and they they exist to provide basically bulk energy. They they're not entirely flexible. They they're sort of like a, traditional terms what would be con- considered a, a base load generator. Now, modern versions of that are called combined cycle turbines. They're much more efficient. They can convert basically convert much more of the uh, chemical energy in gas to electricity. And that that's sort of like for example Pelican Point in 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 South Australia. And that, that again that's that's about providing just bulk energy um, but then there's this third type which is the open cycle gas turbine and we, we've got one of those here in victoria um, or we've got several of those here in victoria the a big one just bought built by uh, origin a couple of years ago is in mortlake and they are very flexible generators and they, they don't provide a lot of energy over the course of the year some of them only run for several hours they have sort of low utilization rates but th- their role is not actually in providing large amounts of energy, it's providing capacity when the system needs it. When... They're the
3: ones that are basically jet engines, aren't they? Just yes, that's understand. exactly right. So, how do these three relate? Uh.
0: Well, so uh, the question is more about what 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 are the op, what are the alternatives to providing uh, this sort of bulk energy that's provided by combined cycle gas turbines and steam generators, and the flexible uh, capacity provided by open cycle gas turbine. And in effect, you you have the low cost renewable energy like solar PV and wind, basically providing that cheap, low-cost energy. And on the other side, you have new, new technologies like battery storage, but also pumped hydro energy storage and also things like concentrating solar thermal, able to provide that flexible uh, capacity that's, um, that's dispatchable, dispatchable. That's right.
1: And they'd probably be more efficient too, because open cycle gas turbines are much less efficient than a closed cycle and I don't think gas is any more efficient than wind. Um, oh, actually not wind sorry solar.
0: So I, I, th- I guess you're possibly thinking about capacity factor rather than efficiency so they are uh, quite quite different uh, concepts. so the, y- yes gas open cycle gas turbines are much less efficient and that's about that's about the amount of energy that's converted from the gas to electricity. But having said that, and and a sort of related part of that is that they have high emissions intensity because you burn the same amount of gas but get less electricity out of it. But I guess the important thing is they're not necessarily used that often throughout the course of the year. So while they are less efficient and they produce more emissions in aggregate, they probably actually produce a lot less emissions than, for example, a Torrens Island or a uh, combined cycle gas turbine that is running consistently throughout the year in terms of the utilization rates or the capacity factors they actually vary quite a lot for the peak generators there's some that are probably around 30 percent that that is probably similar to a wind farm or um, even a a well-performing solar farm can get pretty close to 30 percent these days that's to do with how much of the plant is running at full load hours over the year but with open cycle gas turbines, some of them are about that 30%, but some of them are at well below 1% as well. And that comes back to it, its role. is not Its role is not to sit there providing energy. It's to sit there and be available for when there is a peak day uh, and provide that capacity.
1: Except I think there were problems in South Australia and also in New South Wales when they needed gas to be there in terms of high demand mm-hmm. and they weren't available because they... Or offline due to technical reasons.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think that in the New South Wales case, there was actually also a a black coal generator offline as well. It had problems with its boiler tube. And this is not, I guess, to specifically point the finger at these technologies, but it's just the reality that nothing is one hundred percent reliable, or nothing. You know, there is these things happen. It's you know, and the system is actually designed to take. Of uh, care of these so-called contingency events, and that's why we have you know reserves, and that's why we have all these uh, other forms of um, peak capacity, whether that's even diesel generators available for those sort of situations.
3: We're talking to Dylan O'Connell and Tim Forsy about their new report: a short-lived gas shortfall on three CR and syndicated nationally. Dylan or or Tim, there's a new head of uh, AEMO, Audrey Zibelman, has been imported from New York. (laughs) Um, presumably she wasn't involved in this report. Has she reacted to this report uh,
2: since it came out? Funny you should ask that because we were just listening to her on a different radio station about ten minutes ago. Yes, Audrey's come down from America, and um, she seems to have had experience uh, in New York State after the Superstorm Sandy incident, and uh, so that taught them some lessons there about uh, how to manage an electricity grid and, and robustness, and she seems to be into things like a distributed energy generation and demand response was what they were announcing today with ARENA. They're going to be doing more work where uh, during high electricity demand times, people can actually p- be paid to uh, use less electricity, so that's known as demand response. Yes, yeah, so on the gas side here she, uh, she the new CEO hasn't been around that long, but uh, she did respond she was asked, and she did respond to our report on uh, on radio today. Um, one of the things points that we made is that Aemo will be updating their information by the end of the month because of uh, it wasn't a very big gap to begin with and uh, information that's come to light since and things that that we've talked about. So uh, she did uh, say that uh, by the end of the month, they'll be coming out with uh, an update of uh, this information about this shortfall, and I would expect it's uh, going to disappear.
1: And Tim, do you know what her stance is on gas?
2: No, I don't know uh, too much about that, but I think she will find, of course, that the situation here in Australia is much different than in America in America, they've uh, done a lot of the unconventional gas production across the, the country there, and that has certainly depressed gas prices in America. A BHP made an announcement recently about uh, how poorly they've, uh, they've done from the, the investments into shale gas that they made some years ago. Um, and so they, they do have cheap gas in America. In Australia, we used to, but we don't anymore. So it will be a completely different situation on the gas side uh, compared to what she's used to.
3: So bringing that back to um, the demand side that you just mentioned, the uh, conference that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that was right through it. They kept on stressing how much demand was just as much a product as the supply side. So what can consumers, suppliers and and how, how can they respond to the high energy prices and the demand?
2: Uh, On the the gas side, certainly what we say to folks is uh, at your home where you're looking at your gas bills going up, have a look at using your reverse cycle air conditioner for heating your home. Certainly uh, yesterday morning when it was fairly cold in Melbourne, normally I would have turned my gas heater on. But these days we heat the house with a reverse cycle air conditioner, which is a heat pump. And it acts, it's so cheap because it harvests free renewable heat, renewable energy from outside your house. It can capture that heat in the air and pump it up to the temperatures you need to heat your. House and at our house, we found that um, we could heat for about one third the price of uh, using the gas. Uh, since then, I've also bought a heat pump to heat uh, our hot water, and again, it looks like it's about a third the price of using the old gas storage heater s- heating system. And we find that uh, some people are going all the way, and they're going to the induction cooktop, and then they can get completely off of gas and uh, not have to spend about $300 a year for the fixed charges of being connected to the gas grid. A lot of people talk about getting off the electricity grid, but we reckon they should get off the gas grid first, because for economic reasons, it makes sense uh, economically.
1: It does make sense economically, but then if you go all the way to electricity, then what happens if there is a power outage?
2: Well, um, maybe Dylan would like to talk about demand response and things we can do uh, you know, next summer when the heat is on. Yeah, there's actually a lot, a lot of capacity that's really
0: underutilized in in Australia around demand response. Um, a, a good example that I've heard a few times is basically around the amount of um, actual uh, diesel generators that are uh, available in the system in places like Telstra that have you know a lot of um, uh, data centres and you know. Um, uh, backup supplies. Yeah, backup supplies. You know, hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of megawatts uh, of available capacity. And this is same with hospitals and uh, lots of lots of data centers around the place. Actually, have lots of diesel capacity, and that that's effectively invisible to the market at the moment. And if there is a sort of a a um, you know, a, a shortfall forecast as we get closer to summer that these these things will become available and will show up on the demand side because it's it's reducing load on the system. Now that's you know, diesel generation is um is not you know that great for uh, in terms of emissions. But again, I, I would say that it doesn't get you. We're talking about being used for several hours of the year kind of thing. But th- this is just one option, and there are plenty of other other examples of, you know, there's there's a lot of um, basically you know uh unutilized flexibility within the system that people people have just are not used to the idea of uh, responding to to prices or just curtailing or just um, managing their 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 production or their load at at in australia like i think the in california um they are are, are able to source about 10 percent of their peak load from the demand side and in australia it's it's less than one percent and so there's there's a lot of Lessons to be learned
3: and, yes, and absolutely. things to implement.
2: And that's just what uh, the new CEO of um, AIMA was talking about today on the radio. It was taking that even down to the household level where there may be people with uh, batteries. And so they may be incentivized or paid money to uh, produce electricity into the grid during the the peak times because they've, they've charged up their batteries at another time and they have that uh, energy available. She was asked the question about whether it was a good idea that South Australia is thinking about investing in new uh, gas-fired power stations to meet their peak demands, and she sort of implied that uh, she thought there was a lot of opportunities and demand response that investments in new gas infrastructure wouldn't be necessary.
1: Oh, that's good news. Glad to hear that. So talking about gas, you did mention in your report that the gas industry data is opaque. Can you explain that a little bit more?
2: Oh, goodness. We uh, quoted some industry analysts who have said that the uh, information available from the Australian gas industry is uh, is inferior to many other countries uh, uh, around the world, some countries that you'd be surprised to find that uh, Australia is worse in terms of the availability of information. Now, it's not like uh, like this is a conspiracy or it's evil or anything. It, I think it's just that over time, uh, nobody's really cared. I mean, there's been a lot of gas and it was cheap and so it didn't need the scrutiny. But uh, those days are gone and I think we really need to get inf- more information available as to uh, uh, what the the gas uh, industry is, is going to be doing, what reserves they think are in the ground, uh, all of that. Take, for example, the Bass Strait is a big uh, gas resource that Victoria relies on quite a bit, and the Victorian government has no idea, really, about the gas reserves out there. Um, that's a state secret held by SO and BHP, uh, and the Victorian government or the federal government really don't have much information about the situation out there, and that's been fine because in the past, like, like I said, there was a lot of gas out there, and it didn't matter that much, but we're getting to the pointy end here where uh, this sort of information is vital for governments and other stakeholders like uh, you and I to uh, have a better understanding what's going on as we plan the future of energy.
3: So I keep referring to this uh, solar conference last week, but um, another interesting fact that came out of that was Bloomberg talking, and they said that by about 2030, 2032, that new-build PV will be cheaper than running existing coal stations fully depreciated just the cost of of digging up the coal and that's without allowing for any increases in costs of doing that and in particular without budgeting in any carbon price so as soon as you put a carbon price on that it's probably 10 years or more or less than that can you tell us how gas fits into that how does new build um, renewable compare with the cost of running existing gas.
0: Yeah, that's a good question,
3: and, and it's, a, it's,
0: a, it's very it's very different with gas. Certainly in Australia, because because the price of gas is much higher than than coal. Um, basically, at the moment, at at sort of prevailing gas prices, and depending on the the plant that you're bearing the gas at, the the, um, the marginal cost from an uh, existing gas plant that's you know with sunk sunk costs is somewhere in the vicinity of 80 to above $100 per megawatt hour. And this is, this is actually um, basically more expensive than building new wind and new solar in some places around, around
2: the country. So Dylan, you're basically saying that rather than put gas into an existing power station, you'd be, if you wanted some electricity, you'd be better off going out and building a new a solar pv plant yeah. or a new wind farm that's, that's exactly right monthly, yeah. 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 That's And ex- and that's where these uh, very high prices of gas in australia have taken us
1: so another recent report showed that gas prices are increasing substantially in victoria due to the closure of hazelwood in fact gas is burned to generate power the, the gas that's being burned is doubling to generate power did aemo take that increase into account in their report
2: the, uh, so the coal-fired power station uh, Hazelwood shut down in Victoria recently and uh, there has been more gas used to uh, cover for that. Double. Yeah, look, I, I don't think
0: the, 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 there's certainly been an increase in gas um, consumption in Victoria, but that is by far and away not the dynamic that is driving price prices uh, in the system. It's, it's absolutely being dominated by the... Um, the exposure to the uh, export markets and or basically the, the huge demand, which is, I think, what is it, three times our, our historic demand, uh, local domestic demand that's uh, now being exported through the terminals up in, in Gladstone. Uh, in terms of, you know, relatively speaking, the amount of gas that is being burnt as a result of, uh, you know, additional gas that is being burnt as a result of Hazelwood closing is, is minuscule compared to that, that uh, extra demand.
1: It was a couple of years ago, I think, Tim, you had a a report about the declining gas demand in eastern Australia. Can you refresh us about that and also (laughs) talk about the removal of subsidies for expanding the grid and encouraging economic use? Yes, switching.
2: yes, certainly. And that's, again, why we think this is a, a short-lived shortfall, gas shortfall that AEMO was talking about, because the uh, demand for gas is going down. Uh, gas demand peaked in uh, eastern Australia in 2012, and it's been going down every year since. We use less gas for generating electricity. Less gas is being used in industry and less gas is being used in homes. So there's no longer any economic reason to connect any new houses or new suburbs or new towns to the gas grid because there's more cost-effective ways of doing that using, for example, heat pumps.
3: That's quite a radical move, isn't it? Victoria's still paying people to put gas in,
2: special gas projects to extend the gas to towns. Yeah, and uh, you find the gas industry, well they're fighting this pretty hard and they're even offering subsidies to people. So you might find that the gas industry will will come along and they'll offer you $500 or something to put in a gas hot water heater because they know that locks you in for 10 or 20 years as long as that gas hot water heater is alive. So be a little suspicious if you see um, some sweet deals from the gas industry because uh, it might look good uh, in the short term but uh, down the track you'll be paying for these higher gas prices.
1: That's an incredibly good warning, Tim. I hadn't thought of that. Thank you so much for your time today. Dylan O'Connell and Tim Fawcy with their new report, A Short Lived Gas Shortfall. Can you tell us where people can go for more information on that?
0: Uh, yeah, the, the report's available on the Climate and Energy Colleges website, which is www.climate-energy-college.net.
3: And for a report that was only released yesterday, you seem to be getting a massive amount of press. Yeah, it's yeah. been fairly widely picked up, sure.
1: Well done. And of course, it's been picked up because it's a very important topic that's not really been clearly discussed.
2: No, it went right up to the Prime Minister, so um, certainly it's gotten some attention.
1: Oh, I like it. Thanks very much again. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and would like to donate, just go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR
0: podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne,
1: Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.